0: Well, good evening, everyone. Thank you for being part of our Wednesday Night Bible Study. Uh, We have started a new series. Last week, Mark filled in for me. I appreciate so much Mark filling in for me uh, as I was out of town uh, taking care of some family business. Uh, And Mark started this new series for us as we begin to talk about Jesus being our example when our life is interrupted. And for sure, This year has come with all sorts of interruptions. Nothing has gone. It seems like nothing has gone the way that we planned, the way that we pictured, the way that we hoped even. And so many times our life has been interrupted. And when our life doesn't go according to plan, when things don't work out the way that we think that they will, when things don't work out the way that we hope they will, we look to Jesus as our example. We look to Jesus and ask, Rabbi, teacher, teacher. What do I do? How do I live? How do I interact with the people around me? How do I navigate this situation and this circumstance that I find myself in? Last week, Mark talked to us about how Jesus is our teacher. And today we're going to talk about Jesus being our example of strength and courage. And we really do need strength and courage, don't we? Right now, especially in our life, no matter what's going on in your individual personal life, together collectively as a congregation. And as we look at the church across the country and across the world, we need strength and we need courage because we don't know and we never do. We never know what tomorrow holds or what next year holds. We don't know what the future holds. And so as we look to the future, sometimes it can be scary. It can be frightening. We can be anxious about what's coming next What if things don't go the way that we hope? What if things don't work out the way that we think that they will, the way we hope they will? And when we're anxious, when we're afraid, when we're scared, we need to look to Jesus as our example of strength and courage. And especially right now, I think about right now in our context as Americans, in this moment of our life, as our culture continues to shift and change, Many of us look at our our country, many of us look at our culture, and we recognize the fact that less and less people seem to identify as Christians. Less and less people seem to follow the way of Jesus, at least from our perspective. And so as we look at our culture, and it seems to be getting more and more secular, as people's worldview, as people's morals and ethics shift and change, that can leave some of us feeling afraid. Feeling afraid thinking, what if, what if our religious liberties are curtailed? What if it becomes more challenging, more difficult to be Christians? What if our religious freedoms are taken away from us? This is a reality that Jesus' followers have faced throughout the history for the last 2,000 years, Jesus' followers across the world have found it very difficult, have often been persecuted for following Jesus. And sometimes, even though most of us, most of us have never experienced real religious persecution, many of us look to the future and say, what if that happens? What if I'm persecuted? But many of us have faced times where following Jesus has come with consequences, where people don't like the decisions that we make, or even may mock us for the decisions that we make, may mock us for our religious perspective or for following Jesus. And and we may have suffered to one degree or another for following Jesus. And that can be a scary thing. It can be scary. It can be anxiety producing for people to mistreat us because we followed Jesus. And so we looked to Jesus as our example of strength and courage, because Jesus obviously was hated for who he was, what he taught, and what he did. He was so hated and despised for who he was, and what he said, and what he did, that he was put to death. And he warned his apostles and his disciples that these same sorts of things are going to happen to you. And so when we face the possibility of persecution or the reality of persecution, we have to look to Jesus as the source and the example of our strength and our courage. And and not just in religious persecution, but in all areas of our life. Anytime we're anxious, anytime we're afraid, anytime we have to do the right thing even when it's the hard thing. We have to do the right thing, the good thing, even when it's difficult or challenging or may may be accompanied by suffering. How do we muster the strength and courage to do what we need to do in the face of suffering, in the face of persecution, in the face of opposition? How do we do that? Well, we look to Jesus as the example of our strength and our courage. So we're going to look at a passage of scripture tonight from Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 5. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 5. And I want to read these first few verses just to give us some context about what's going on as Jesus sends out his apostles on what's often referred to as the limited commission. We're we're probably familiar in Matthew chapter 28, the end of Matthew's gospel, or in Mark chapter 16, in what is called the Great Commission, As Jesus sends his apostles out into the whole world to preach the good news to all creation, in this passage, it's the limited commission. He's sending them specifically to the household of Israel, to the house of Israel, to the Jewish people. He says in Matthew 10 and verse 5, where the text says, These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather... To the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And so Jesus sends his apostles out to the Jewish people, because the good news about the kingdom of God had to go first to the Jews, as Paul said it, first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. That the opportunity to be part of what God was doing in the world, the opportunity to be part of God's rule and reign through King Jesus had to go first to the Jewish people because this was their message, their Messiah, and they had to have the first opportunity to respond to that. And so Jesus sends his apostles out and tells them, don't take money, don't take food, let the people take care of you. Because whether or not they welcomed and received the apostles would be a sign of whether or not they believed the message, whether or not they believed in Jesus as the Messiah. And so he sends them out to see whether or not they will be received by the people of Israel. Verse 11, And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it, and if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. We often use this phrase, shake off the dust from your feet. I'm afraid sometimes we take this out of context. This really is an act of apostolic judgment, an act of judgment upon a town, upon a community, or upon a house that won't receive the message of Jesus. And and it's specific to this limited commission, because this commission, Jesus sending his apostles out, is limited in its timing It's not forever. This is just a small window of time that Jesus is sending his apostles out, so it's limited in timing, and it's also limited in scope. This isn't the Great Commission to the whole world that will be until the return of Jesus. This is just for a limited time, just a a one-time offer that he's sending them out to the, the nation, the household of Israel, to say, Jesus is the Messiah. Will you respond to this good news that the kingdom of heaven is at hand? And if they receive you and they listen to you and they feed you and they take care of you and they say, tell me more about the kingdom. Tell me more about this Jesus as they cast out demons and cleanse the lepers and and heal and do the things that Jesus empowered them to do. If they receive you and they listen to you, then your peace will be upon them. And if they don't, then shake off the dust of your feet as an act of judgment against them to say they are not worthy. Even though they're Israelites and they're supposed to be part of the remnant of Israel, they're supposed to be waiting and anticipating the coming kingdom. They weren't. They weren't anticipating. They weren't waiting. And so Jesus sends them out, already letting them know that there's going to be one of two receptions that they're going to receive. Either somebody's going to say, Welcome. Come in, tell me more. We want to experience the kingdom of heaven or or people will say get out. I want nothing to do with this message. I want nothing to do with this Jesus. And if that's the case, then they are to as official ambassadors of King Jesus to shake the dust off their feet. In other words to say these are not really worthy Israelites to receive the Messiah to receive his message because they refuse to listen. And Jesus says it will be worse than Sodom and Gomorrah for those households and those towns. Now, here's where I really want us to focus. Starting in verse 16, he says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men For they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. So, Paul says, or rather, Jesus says to them that they will be persecuted, that they will be dragged into the courts, that they will be flogged in the synagogues, that they'll be taken before governors, they'll be taken before kings, and they will have to bear witness even before the Gentiles. And so Jesus tells them that they will face persecution. But he says, here's how you do it. Here's how you face it. You have to be, one, wise as serpents, and two, innocent as doves. Let's think about that metaphor for a second. The two sides of that coin. One, he says, wise as serpents. A serpent wisely knows that there's danger a serpent can can sense when there's someone that's going to step on them or somebody that's going to kill them they recognize when there's danger about and so they're wise and they're crafty and he says be wise as serpents recognize that there really is very real danger and that people really are out to get you and they very well might drag you before their courts And they might flog you and they might even put you to death. This is going to be a reality, not just during the limited commission, but as they go out into the whole world and as we carry on that mission, this is going to be a reality. There are going to be people that don't like followers of Jesus. They don't like our message, they don't like our worldview, they don't like our perspective, they don't like the exposure that the light brings to the things that they do in the darkness, and this is a reality. And Jesus says, be wise as serpents. Recognize the threat. But, but, he says, be as harmless or as innocent as doves. Now, now sometimes, sometimes we, we have one of two ways of, of dealing with possible religious persecution. We have one of two ways of interacting when we think there might be danger. One is to deny it and to be as wise as doves, or in other words, be as foolish as doves, and to think there's no real danger. I could just kind of do whatever I want to. Oh, people, they're, they're generally nice, and nobody wants to hurt us, and there really is no persecution. There really is no evil in the world. They're just people that are misunderstood, and, and we can be as foolish as doves. Jesus says, be as wise as serpents recognize when there is real danger, real evil, real threats, but don't be as dangerous as a serpent. Sometimes we want to be as wise as a serpent and as dangerous as a serpent. We can't be as dangerous as a serpent. We have to be as dangerous or as innocent as doves. This is how Jesus sends his disciples out into the world, to be wise in recognizing the threat, but not returning the threat to be as innocent, as harmless, as doves. That's the way Jesus sends them out into the world. That's the way Jesus is in the world. Jesus is wise. He recognizes evil. He recognizes the danger and the threat of those who are out to get him, those who try to trap him, those that want to kill him. He recognizes the very real threat, but he doesn't return the threat. He recognizes the threat but he doesn't return the threat. He is as harmless, as innocent as a dove, and he sends his disciples out, his apostles out, to do the same, to be as wise as a serpent, but not dangerous like a serpent, to be as wise as a serpent, but as harmless or innocent as a dove. He sends them out to be as harmless and innocent as a dove, but not to be as wise as a dove, to be as wise as a serpent. And this is how Jesus sends his followers out into the world. And again, not just during the limited commission, but for you and I as well. This is how he sends us out, to recognize the very real threats that exist, to recognize them, but not to return them. Not to be dangerous as serpents, to be as harmless as doves, even though we're as wise as serpents, recognizing the danger. Then he says in verse 19, When they deliver you over... Do not be anxious anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour for it is not you who speak but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So he says, when they arrest you and they drag you before the courts and they they persecute you don't worry about what you're going to say. Don't be anxious about what you're going to say because the spirit will give you the words to say. Now I think the same is true for us, even though the Spirit works in us differently than he worked in the apostles, but we still don't have to worry about what to say. It's not about your cunning. So many times when we worry about persecution or we worry about people not liking us as followers of Jesus, we try to come up with just the right things to say to convince people, just the right things to say to get people on our side or just the right rhetoric or logic or wisdom in order to trick people or to convince people. And Jesus says, it's it's not your words. It's not your words. It's not your message. It's not your rhetoric. Preach the message the Spirit gives you. And the same is true for us. Preach the word. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Be filled with the Spirit. This is the message that we have to share with the world. And some people will accept it, and some people won't. But this is the way we we are to live in the world. This is the way Jesus was in the world. He was as wise as a serpent, but as innocent as a dove. And he didn't preach the, the wisdom of men, but as Paul put it, the foolishness of the cross. He came with the message that the Spirit gave to him, that the Father gave to him to preach. And that's the message that we have, the message from Jesus, the message from the Spirit, the message from the Father. This is what we do. We go into the world and we just preach Jesus. As Paul says, we preach Christ and him crucified. And that's going to look like foolishness to the world. But whether they accept it or not, that's not our, that's not our worry. We don't have to try to find a way to make the world think that what we're saying makes sense or is wise. We don't have to rely on our own wisdom or the wisdom of man or the rhetoric of man, but just preach the message of Jesus. Lift him up. And when Jesus is lifted up, both on the cross and in our message, the world will be drawn to him. So many times, this is where we go wrong. This is why we get so worried and so anxious. And this is where we depart from the way we're supposed to be. So we have to preach the message that the spirit through the scriptures gives us to preach. Verse 21, he says, brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child and the children will rise against parents and have them put to death but you will be, and you will be hated by all for my namesake, for the one, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. He says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. That, that's the key right there, isn't it? The one who endures to the end As John puts it in the book of Revelation, as Jesus gives the message to John, rather, that the one who is faithful unto death, Jesus will give him the crown of life, the one who endures to the end. Because what persecution can cause us to do, persecution can cause us to abandon our mission or abandon the way of Jesus out of fear Out of fear, we can take matters into our own hands. Out of fear, we can decide, I'm going to be as foolish as a dove, or I'm going to be as dangerous as a serpent. But Jesus calls us to be as wise as a serpent, but as innocent as a dove. And this is a hard way. This is a hard message. Fear of persecution can cause us to preach a different message to rely on our own words, or to hide the message of Jesus, to deny Jesus, to keep it to ourselves, to put a a bushel over our light, to try to hide the city on a hill. And Jesus says, you must endure. The one who endures, the one who remains faithful to the end will be saved. And he's encouraging them as they go out into the world, as he says, into the wolves that they must endure to the end. And the same message is true for us, not just, again, in the Limited Commission, but now under the Great Commission, as we go into the world. And at times, people don't like the message that we're preaching. They don't like the idea that Jesus is the one true way to the Father and that no one comes to the Father except through Him. They don't like the exclusivity of the message of Jesus. They don't like the morals of Jesus. They don't like the ethics of Jesus, whatever it may be. And they very well might not like us because we follow and because we preach Jesus. But he says to us, endure to the end and the one who endures to the end will be saved. Verse 24, he says, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So Jesus tells them not only not only the reality, that they're going to treat you like they treat me. That just makes sense, doesn't it? If they treat the master this way, if they treat the teacher this way, then they're going to treat the servants this way. They're going to treat the disciples this way. If they treat Jesus this way, then they're going to treat the apostles this way and treat you and me this way. There are going to be people that malign us because we follow Jesus. And he says, don't expect any better. Don't expect any different. Not only should this be our expectation, but I would go even further than that and say, this should be our longing If Jesus really is our example and we want to be like him, we want to be like our teacher, we want to be like our master, if we're looking to him for strength and courage, not just to live a moral life or an ethical life, but to live as Jesus lived, to be his disciples, to be his servants, then we should be like Paul. I think about what Paul says in Philippians 3, and he says, I haven't, I haven't reached my goal yet. You know, he's talking about straining toward what he's, he's trying to, to gain and to be like. But before that, he says that everything he had before, he counts it as rubbish in order that, and one of the things he says in order that, that he's straining for and wanting, it says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, I want to be like Jesus in every respect. I want to share in his sufferings. Do we think like that? Are we so courageous, so convinced about the truth that Jesus is proclaiming and revealing that we say, I want to be like Jesus in every respect. I want to be as wise as a serpent, as harmless as a dove. I want to preach the message that the Spirit has given us to preach. I want to be like him in that as they maligned him, they malign me. As they criticized him, they criticized me. As they persecuted him, they persecuted me. Do you remember what happened in the book of Acts? The very first time that the disciples of Jesus were persecuted, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy of suffering for the name, for the sake of his name. I wonder if we're like that. Now, that doesn't mean we go out looking for trouble. It certainly doesn't mean we act ridiculous or unreasonable or unkind in order to get persecution. It's not that we go around with a a martyr complex, but that we say, I want to be like Jesus in every respect, in that I don't fear people persecuting us. I don't fear people persecuting me. I don't fear people maligning me. Because after all, if I want to be like my master, if I want to be like my teacher, and that's how they treated him, then if I'm like him, then chances are I'm going to be treated the same way by some people. Do we think that way? This is is the way Jesus is teaching his apostles to think. Verse 26, he says, So have no fear of them. Let me read that again. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that, that will not be revealed or hidden, that will not be made known What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus says over and over as he sends his apostles out into the wolves, to the wolves, as he sends them out to face persecution, he tells them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to proclaim the message because the truth will be revealed. Not only only the truth of the gospel, not only are you proclaiming the truth of the gospel, but that the gospel is the truth. That will be revealed. Every follower of Jesus, every member of God's household who has ever proclaimed the truth and been persecuted because of their proclamation, they will be vindicated All of God's people will be vindicated. That's what resurrection is all about. Because when someone is put to death, when Jesus was put to death, when the apostles were put to death, they were put to death in shame. They were convicted, whether in a a public trial or not, they were convicted by the public. They were convicted by their executioners of being liars, but their trial was a sham and they will be vindicated. Jesus has already been vindicated that what he was saying was truth. And Jesus says, what you hear whispered, what I tell you and what I teach you, proclaim it. Don't be afraid. (laughs) Don't be ashamed to tell the truth because the truth will come out. Not only the truth of the gospel, but that the gospel is the truth, that Jesus really is the king. And he says, Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Now, when we think about soul, we tend to think about a disembodied spirit, but that's not the biblical way to think of soul. Soul is your life, your existence. Jesus says they can't kill your existence. They can't kill your life. The worst they can do is kill your body. And guess what? That's going to die anyway, and you're going to get a new body from the Lord. Don't be afraid of those who can kill your body. Their power over you is an illusion. And realizing that, realizing that someone's power to kill you is merely an illusion because God is the one who has the power over life and death. And God will vindicate those who have been wrongly put to death and he will raise them from the dead. He says, rather, fear him who can destroy both body and and soul, both soul and body, both your body and your existence, your life, can destroy both in hell. That's the one to fear. He says in verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who's in heaven. Jesus says first that even a sparrow, as, as inexpensive, as, as utterly worthless as one tiny sparrow may seem to you, your Father knows every single one. He knows every hair on your head. So why are you afraid of them? Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid. What if people don't like me? What if people say mean things about me? What if people take away my rights? What if if we're persecuted? What if we can't? What if this happens? What if that happens? Jesus says, stop. Stop. Stop worrying. Stop being afraid of persecution. Stop being afraid of what people can do to you. Because if God is for you, then who can be against you? If God is your Father, and if Jesus acknowledges you before the Father, and Jesus claims you before the Father, then what are you worried about? What are you afraid of? He wants his apostles, his disciples, to march out into the world fearlessly and courageously proclaiming Jesus is the king, not dangerously, not to hurt anyone, not to get in anyone's face, not to be like a serpent in their danger, but wisely recognizing some of y'all don't like what I have to say. Some of you want to hurt us, but to be as innocent in the face of that persecution as doves, But how can you do that? How can you be as innocent and harmless as doves in the midst of persecution? Because you know that their power to take your life is an illusion. All they can do is kill your body and God will give you another one. God will raise you up. He will vindicate you. And Jesus promises that if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father who's in heaven so do not fear. He says, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Jesus isn't saying this is the way things should be. He's not saying this is the way things ought to be. He's not saying that this is the way he wants things to be. But he's wanting them to wisely recognize that this is the way it's going to be. And that they're going to have to decide. They're going to have to decide who's more important. Who's more important? Your mother or Jesus? Your father-in-law or Jesus? Your wife or Jesus? Your children or Jesus? Because you're going to lose some family members, and they would. Not only would there be family members that say, I don't want to have anything to do with you. If you follow Jesus, I'm done. I don't want to be a part of your family. I don't want you to be part of our family. You're out. I'm disinheriting you. You're not part of my family anymore. Not only would many of them, and many to this day, still face that same type of persecution, but even members of their own household would put them to death. And that still happens across the world. There's still many countries in the world where if somebody decides to become a follower of Jesus, their family will not only disown them, disinherit them, their family will even put them to death. And Jesus wants them to recognize and acknowledge the fact that this is going to be the case and that they're going to have to decide who's more important, whose will will you obey, mine or your family's? choose your family or choose me. And sometimes we have to make those types of hard decisions to follow Jesus. He says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, again, we have this tendency to take Jesus' words about taking up your cross as sort of a metaphor. And we kind of take it and use it in different ways. And, and I suppose it could have multiple applications. But for them, they understood exactly what he meant by this. To take up your cross, your cross wasn't a religious symbol. The cross was a tool of execution. It was like an electric chair or a gas chamber. And he says, you're going to have to take up your instrument of execution if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to decide that your life doesn't belong to you anymore. If you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to embrace this new reality that I'm bringing, if you're going to be part of the kingdom of heaven, and you're going to go out into the world and proclaim that Jesus is king, then you're going to have to surrender your life to say it's not mine anymore. Lord, my life belongs to you. My fortune belongs to you. My, my fate belongs to you. All that I am and all that I have belongs to you. That's the only way to follow Jesus, is to say it all belongs to you. But he promises, if you do this, you will find your life. You will live forever if you surrender your life to me. Now, that's the paradox, Christianity. That's the paradox of discipleship or a paradox of discipleship, that the only way to find your life, the only way to find your life is to lose it. And if you lose it for the sake of Jesus, then you will find it. But If you find your life and you say, no, 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 I'm good. I just want to enjoy myself. I want to be comfortable. I want to have a family who loves me. I want everybody to get along. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to be persecuted. I don't want to go through all of that stuff. If that's what you choose, then you forfeit life, real, forever, lasting life. He says you have to be okay with dying now in order to live forever. The only way to live forever is to be okay with dying now, to say, this life that I have, this moment, this fortune, this existence, this whatever, it belongs to the Lord. And he says, if you're going to march out and bravely proclaim the message that I've given you to proclaim, this is what you have to accept. And Jesus goes before us as our example, doesn't he? This is exactly what Jesus did. He went into the pack of wolves wisely as a serpent, knowing their heart, knowing what they were going to do, but as innocent, as harmless as a dove, and allowed himself to die knowing that the Father would raise him to life. And Jesus promises the exact same thing to his followers. You will experience the exact same type of resurrection that Jesus experienced. You will be raised to live forever. But in order to do so, you have to take up your cross. You have to be okay with them putting you to death. You cannot fearfully say, "Uh, you know, I I, I would rather have comfort. I would rather have uh, ease. I would rather have a nice, comfortable, easy life. I don't want the suffering. I don't want the persecution. You have to decide who's more important, whose will Will you follow? And Jesus promises that if you lose your life for his sake, then you will truly find it. Then he says, Whoever receives you, talking to his apostles, receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones, even a cup of cold water, because he's he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And, and this is where we kind of switch gears for just a second, because you and I have received the apostles. We've received the apostles' teaching. Now, we're not part of the house of Israel. We're not part of this limited commission. But later, because Israel rejected as a group, as a whole, they rejected the message of Jesus and put Jesus to death. This message went out to the whole world, both Jew and Gentile, and now has come to us, and the apostles' message has come to us. And if we receive the apostles' message, then we receive Jesus. And then we continue their mission, don't we? Now that we've received this message, now we take this message out into the world and we continue to proclaim it. And all these things that Jesus said to them in their limited commission first and then later in the great commission has now become our commission, the church's commission, to go into the world even even if the world mistreats us even if the world persecutes us, even if the world wants to put us to death, worst case scenario, then we proclaim this message, this message about Jesus. And and we have to remember all of the things that Jesus said to these disciples. And we have to stop being afraid. We have to stop being afraid of religious persecution. Church, I'm going to be frank with you. I think you've seen it and maybe you've experienced it. Maybe you've been guilty of it. I know I have of acting fearfully because we're afraid of what might happen in the face of the possibility of persecution. We've already many times in our lifetime have abandoned what Jesus told us to do. We haven't even faced real persecution yet. But just the possibility of persecution often makes us act like serpents instead of like doves. Jesus calls us to not be afraid of people who can kill our body, people who can take away our money, people who can do whatever, because their power over us is an illusion It's an illusion. What can they do to us? If God is for us, who can be against us? So we have to stop being afraid of religious persecution. We have to stop being afraid that people will persecute us for following Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that we're unaware of it or that we deny its possibility. We have to be as wise as serpents, aware of the dangers, aware of the dangers, aware that there really are people. There really are people in the world who are evildoers. Not everybody you meet is an evildoer. Not everybody who disagrees with you is an evildoer. Not everybody who disagrees with you wants to persecute you or is out to get you. But there are people in the world who do not like followers of Jesus. There are people in the world who would rather there aren't any Christians And we have to be as wise as serpents in that. We have to recognize that reality, not to go flitting about like a dove, just blissfully unaware of religious, real, present dangers and threats. But we also have to be as harmless, as innocent, as doves. And we can do that. We can love our enemies. We can pray for those who persecute us. When our enemies hate us and persecute us, and they're hungry, we can feed them. When they're thirsty, we can give them something to drink. As innocent, as harmless as a dove. Why? Because we know that they have no real power over us. Because Jesus is testifying on our behalf. Jesus is saying to the Father, he's one of mine. She's one of mine. They belong to me. And we know that the Father will raise us from the dead just as he did for Jesus. Jesus went before us. Jesus is our example. Jesus gives us the example of strength and courage. And Jesus, through his Spirit, instills instills within us strength and courage so that we can go out into the world, be as wise as serpents, as innocent as doves, and proclaim the message, the Spirit, has given to us the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified because he is our example when life goes the way we want it to and when life is interrupted. Thank you for being part of tonight's Bible study. I hope that you have a great rest of the week. God bless you. Bye-bye.